How do we decide what work God wants us to do? So let's say we have these options. Pastor, doctor, homemaker, social worker, artist, civil servant, chef, accountant, investment banker. Let's say these were your choices. You could choose anything you wanted. How would you choose? Based on pay? Interest? How spiritually good the job is? And for that matter, can we rank different jobs based on how spiritually good they are? And for those of us who already have a job, or if we go to school, what motivates us to get up every morning to go to school, to go to work? Is it the pay? The interest? The job satisfaction? The fear of our boss? The fear of our parents? The opportunity to share God's word? What does the Bible have to say about work? This morning is the last sermon we have in our series for June where we've been taking different themes uh, and tracing them and looking them through the lens of biblical theology, which just means we're taking each theme and tracing them through the storyline of the Bible and seeing how they find their climax in Christ. From next week onwards, we're going to be resuming our regular service of sermons in the book of Romans. But for this morning, we're going to be looking at what the Bible says about work. And as always, we start at the very beginning in the story of creation and the book of Genesis. We start with the world's first, first ever job description in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. I'm going to read it out for us again. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that, move, that moves on the earth. And later on in 2.15 we read, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And we also learn in Genesis 2 that God himself works. We read, And on the seventh day God rested, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. You see, on our topic of work, the, the most important thing we have to pick up from the story of creation is this that work is good. Work was part of the created world where God created everything and said that everything was good or very good. God was, work was always part of God's plan for all of us, even before sin came into the world. I mean, even God himself worked and he created humans in his image to represent him by joining him in his work of ruling and developing and caring for creation while living under his authority and care. In other words, he created us to do God's work, God's way. But for those of us familiar with the story, we know that that's not exactly what Adam and Eve did. They disobeyed God. When they ate of the fruit that they were not supposed to eat of, instead of living under God's authority, they chose to live under their own authority. Instead of doing God's work God's way, chose to do their work their way. And as part of the punishment, God cursed work and said it would become 
difficult. Look at what God said to Adam in Genesis 3. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So work is good, we've learned that already, but along with the rest of creation, work was corrupted by the curse of sin to become difficult and painful, a curse that affected not just Adam, but all of Adam's descendants, which means all of us today are feeling the same curse of sin on our work. Here are just some ways that the Bible tells us we can feel the curse of work, a curse of sin in our work. In Genesis 3.19, we read just now, we learned that work can be frustrating and unenjoyable and difficult. We will put in much effort and see little or no fruit. In modern day terms, the computer will crash for absolutely no reason. Our clients and our bosses and our teachers will not like our work and tell us to redo it from scratch. We will get, we will get mental blocks. There will be disasters. There will be droughts. There will be days when you feel like doing absolutely nothing at all. And there will be days when nothing seems to go right at all. And even for those of us who do experience joy and productivity at work. Like the verse up there says from the writer of Ecclesiastes, at the end of all days, all of it we will find meaningless. But it doesn't stop there. In fact, it gets worse. Just like what happened to all of the Israelites in, uh, in Egypt, workers will be enslaved and exploited and abused and taken advantage of. Work is not the only thing that is corrupted. The workplace becomes corrupted as well. Dishonesty will be common. Bosses will be unfair. Employees will skive and take MC. Companies will lie and exaggerate and do what they need to make more money. There'll be gossip and politics. And before we make ourselves out to be the victims, what are some of the things that we have done or not done at work when we thought that no one was looking? And lastly, in a perverse twist of God's created order, we end up worshipping work. In God's judgment of the Israelites, He said that their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. You see, we have been corrupted too. And instead of worshipping our Creator, we bow down to the work of our hands. Work becomes not about God, but myself, not doing God's work God's way, but my own work my own way. Owing it to myself to get that dream job, to get into that dream school that I really want to get into. Of getting the promotion, the pay, the recognition that I deserve to leave my own legacy in the workplace. You see, as work becomes more and more about us, we become more and more about work. As many of you who saw me grow up in this church would know, growing up, I was crazy about football. I, I lived and breathed football. I see some people nodding their heads. I lived and breathed football because football was where I got my friends, my source of community, my sense of self-worth, even my identity, because I was the guy who was good at football. And whenever I played well in a match at school, I'd be able to walk, strut around school the next day just knowing that everyone was just talking about me and how good a football player I was. And so what happened is that I, I started to invest more 
and more of myself in football as football started to give me more and more of what I really craved. Not just, I invested myself not just physically, but emotionally and even spiritually as well. Even when I wasn't on the field in person, I was there in spirit. The football field was where my mind drifted to and my mind had nothing else to think about. I became obsessed about football. I couldn't imagine my life without it. And so my whole life became about it, sacrificing more and more of myself, my time, my energy, and my, ocean, and my emotions at the altar of football. It came to a point where I didn't enjoy it anymore. I was so stressed before each match, worried that if I didn't play at the level I should, that football would stop being all the things I needed it to be. I started lashing out at my friends and my teammates when they didn't live up to the expectations that I had for the way football should be and what it should give me. You see, football had started off as a good thing, as a great thing in my life, but it had become an idol that I started to worship because it had ceased to be a good thing and had become the ultimate thing. What I depended on for myself, my identity, my self-worth, and even my community. And even as I, as I relate this, I, I, I don't think I'm alone in this experience. You see, Israel's idols were made of silver and gold, but our idols are often the things that we can't see. We're so prone to worshipping the work of our hands because of the things that our work can give us, that we think work can give us. Community, recognition, self-worth, identity, financial security, a sense of belonging, and on this point, a good way to see if work has become an idol in our hearts is to ask ourselves, how do we respond when something goes wrong at work? How do we respond when we don't get the appreciation we feel we deserve from our bosses and our colleagues and our teachers and our classmates? How do we respond when the presentation doesn't go well, when we do worse than we had hoped for in our exam? How do we respond when we don't get that dream job or get into that dream school? How do you respond when we lose our job? Do we obsess over our work, even outside of work? Does our mind automatically drift to work? We're not there in body, but we're still there in spirit. Actually, can we imagine our life without this job? You see, because of the fall, work is corrupted and is frustrating and meaningless. The workplace is corrupted and is full of dishonesty and exploitation, and we ourselves are corrupted as work becomes about ourselves and even idolized and worshipped. So what do we do? There are typically three ways that we try to solve the problem, three possible solutions. The first is we try to ignore the problem, just get on with it. I don't have time to think about all these things. I just need to go to office, earn the money, put food on the table, put my kids through school, earn the money I need to go on the holiday. No time to think about it. Just get on with it. The second solution we tend to have is to assume that there's no solution at all. Work will always be terrible. It will always be difficult. Find joy and meaning elsewhere, normally during my leave and the long weekends. And then there's a third solution that we tend to 
use. And honestly, I think this is something that the younger people tend to be more familiar with, which is to look for that perfect job. It's a concept that's foreign to many of our parents, taking a gap year after we graduate to understand ourselves better so, and to invest the time so we can find the perfect job. Being willing to stay unemployed, to take a pay cut just so that we can find a job that suits us, to job hop every one or two years from company to company, to job to job, so we can find the company that values us and the job that we can value. But you see, the point that I'm trying to drive at now is what the Bible says is that none of these solutions will ever work. Even if they seem to work in the short term, they're not going to work in the long term because they don't address the root problem. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's important to work and study so that we can earn money to put food on the table. It's important to look for a job that we can enjoy and be satisfied in. But as Christ himself said in John 6, 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. John 6, 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. You see, we all know the verses in the Bible that tell us that we need to work hard to provide for ourselves and to have that bit extra, that much extra to give to those in need. But you see, what we learn is that God has created us for much more than to work for that which perishes. God has, worked, has created us to work for that which is eternal. See, the root problem with our work is a spiritual problem, and so it needs a spiritual solution. The root problem is sin. As we learned earlier, the root problem is sin. The world is cursed because of sin, and so the only solution is redemption. A payment needs to be made to redeem us from the power and consequences of sin. And part of God's work in our world is to do just that, to redeem us from the power and consequences of sin. Look at Psalm 111. Earlier on, we read, Sophie Megan read for us about how God's works are in creation, but we learn also here that the works of His hands are faithful and just. He sent redemption to His people. He has commanded His covenant forever. See, when we think about the work of God's hands, we think about, we think about creation and all its glory. The psalmist is praising and, call, and calling us to praise God's works in creation. But not just that, He's calling us to praise God's work of redemption in the world. Now, this psalm was written in the Old Testament, and the redemption in psalm was referring to God's rescue of Israel from slavery in Egypt. But it's, this same verse is also picked up in Luke chapter 1 and talks about a different redemption, a redemption of how God through Christ visited and redeemed His people. Look at, look at Luke chapter 1. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. And then Jesus himself describes his own ministry as work that God himself gave him to accomplish. Jesus told others, my father is working until now, and I am working. And in his prayer to God, Jesus said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. You see, as we 
try to understand what God's work for us is, we need, to under, we need to trace what God's work in the world is as well. In Genesis, God worked to create indescribable beauty in the world around us, in the heaven and the moon and the stars, but His work was not finished. His work continued, and when, Jesus, and when Christ came, Christ came to do the work that God gave Him to do, working to create indescribable beauty in a new people that God would call His treasured possession. A new people redeemed from the curse and power of sin. This is what Paul tells us. He says, for we are His workmanship. We, referring to Christians, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And, and in another letter to the Philippians, Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and work for His good pleasure. You see, when God cursed Adam, all of Adam's descendants, all of people across the world, across all of time, suffered from the same curse of sin. But in Christ, the new and better Adam, as we, as we sang just now, God worked to create a new people, his workmanship, redeemed from the curse of sin. He redeemed His people for a purpose, to take part in His work in His world. In other words, He redeemed His people to do God's work, God's way. God's work in our world still isn't finished. And as the redeemed, as His workmanship, as Paul tells us, we have the privilege and the joy, but also the responsibility of taking part in God's work in the world. Just as Christ came to do God's work, we have been saved to do God's work as well, to devote our lives to doing God's work. Devoting our lives to God's work means starting and ending with God's work. What does that mean? It means submission to God for His work as our Creator. Faith and security in Christ's work in the, on the cross for our salvation. Dependence on God's work in us as we work out our salvation. And a single-minded devotion to doing God's work in our lives. In other words, doing God's work means starting and ending with the gospel. Do our jobs start and end with the gospel? Is the gospel the foundation of what's on our heart and what's on our minds as we enter the workplace? As we exit the workplace, is God's work what we are thinking about? You see, if our, more than that, if our jobs start and end with God's work, with the gospel, we'll automatically realize that our work is much more than what we do at the workplace. Our work is much more than what we do at the workplace. You see, when you think about what does the Bible say about work, it very, very rarely just talks about a single occupation. Look at just some of the verses that come up when we, when we look at what the Bible says about work. It tells us to believe in God, work for God's glory, obey and be equipped by God's word, meet up with and encourage one another, share the gospel and disciple one another, See, the point is, when we, think, when we start and end with the gospel, 
we'll realize that God's work is so much more than what we do during our office and school hours. God's work is what we do in all our hours. And for some of us, this means opening our eyes. When we think about what God's calling for our lives is, we need to open our eyes to see just more than what job God is calling us to do. It's true that God uses our talent and our interests and our circumstances and opportunities to guide us towards the job that He wants us to take. But we are wasting our lives if our vision for the future that God has for us is limited to just that dream job that we want to get, to just that dream school that we think we want to get into. You see, God has saved us for a life of good works. And we need to invest our time and our energy into everything that God has called us to do, not just into our job or into our schoolwork. Which could mean for some of us asking ourselves tough questions. If our job is causing us to sin, if our job or the way that we approach school is causing us to neglect the work that God has called us to in other parts of our life. As a husband or wife, father, mother, son, daughter, brother, sister, friend, church member, then could today be the day that God is prompting us to think and to be honest with ourselves? Is this really the job that God is calling us to? And to those of us who have the privilege of not having to work, we still need to think about, perhaps we today want to think about, is what I do throughout the day, every day, part of what God's work in the world is all about? It's good to enjoy ourselves and to relax, but we are God's workmanship created in Christ for good works, for God's work, to do God's work, God's way. But to see God's work as being more than what we do in the workplace, it also means looking at the challenges we face at God's work, the challenges we face at work differently. Our time at the workplace is also part of God's work in our lives, and the challenges we face are part of God's plan to work and to will for His good pleasure. The crashed computer to teach us patience, the failed presentation or test or exam to teach us humility, and dependence on Him. The difficult colleague or classmate or boss or teacher to teach us patience and grace. You see, redemption means that we understand work as being much more than what we do at the workplace. But it also means that we can approach our jobs the way we're supposed to. Work, as we learned earlier, is good and is part of God's plan for us to represent Him by joining Him in His work to develop and rule and care for creation while living under His authority and care. You know, growing up, one of the ways that I used to look at jobs was in terms of how spiritually good I thought they were. I don't know about you guys, but that's how I looked at jobs. Being a, becoming a pastor and a missionary, obviously the most spiritually good job out there. And then next come the helping professions, social worker, teacher, civil servant, doctor, counsellor. 
And then everything else just is sort of lumped together. Broadly speaking, better pay, better job security, more glamorous. But the trade-off is, in order to get that, they're less spiritually good. I'm making that sacrifice in order to get what is important in the world as well. But do we see what the Bible is saying is that's completely the wrong way to look at any of our jobs. I mean, true, there are some jobs that are just downright illegal and sinful, and we should avoid those like the plague. But everything else, every other job is equally good, is equally spiritually good, because they are all means for us to, to represent God by ruling and developing and caring for that, that part of creation that God has placed under our care. A doctor heals, a full-time mom or dad nurtures, a social worker restores, an artist creates, a civil servant develops, a chef feeds, an accountant brings order, an investment banker multiplies and grows. So for example, Jess and I had the opportunity to watch, where's Adeline? To watch Adeline perform and perform with uh, a dance, dance along with the Soweto Gospel Choir who blessed us with the offertory at church last week. And honestly, this is the same feeling I got when I was just, when I was listening to our youth perform the offertory just now. You see, when, when they, they're not just doing a performance for, for an audience. What they're doing is that they're giving us a glimpse of God's glory and creative power. They're taking the gifts and talents that God has given them, their, their voices, their bodies, their instruments, their imagination, their discipline, all their hard work. And what they're also doing is they're creating this wonderful masterpiece that gives us just a small glimpse of God's creative power and glory and majesty. Isn't that marvelous? And, and what about if you're a student? <laughs> On one hand, you're, you're, you're equipping yourself to do God's work, and that has tremendous value in and of itself. But in another way, you're, in your different subjects, you're learning more and more about different parts about God's creation, and so you're actually learning more and more about God, the Creator Himself. Francis Collins, a, a scientist who led the Human Genome Project, said, to have a chance to see the glory of creation, the intricacy of it, the beauty of it, is really an experience not to be matched. Scientists who do not have a personal faith in God also undoubtedly experience the exhilaration of discovery. But to have that joy of discovery mixed together with the joy of worship is truly a powerful moment for a Christian who is also a scientist. I mean, I never looked at school that way. I never looked at research that way. Newfound respect for what Bibiana does. <laughs> but let's be honest with ourselves. It sounds really good, but in the day-to-day -day drudgery of our everyday work and responsibilities, our jobs and our responsibilities don't always feel so glorious or glamorous, do they? Through the media we consume, the conversations we have, it's abundantly clear that the world sees some jobs and some schools as being of more value and glamorous than others. And we so easily come to see as the world sees, don't we? 
but we have been redeemed to see differently because we are different. My personal takeaway from, from preparing for today, and, and just be delighted to hear this, is that God's work is in the less glamorous chores at home as well. In, in changing my kid's diaper, in doing the dishes, in, in, in cleaning the house, in tidying up the house, in cooking a meal. God's work is in the less glamorous thing as well. These chores matter to God, not just in the way that I do them, not just that I do them cheerfully, but in the fact that these chores need to be done in the first place. The actual content of what I do is important to God. They are all part of my worship to God. Not just the fact and how I mop the floor, but the fact that I do mop the floor. <laughs> because what I'm doing in all these different chores and acts is that I'm representing God as I develop and care for that small segment of creation, that small, those, those people that he has put under my rule and my care. So friends, brothers and sisters, no matter what our job is, full-time mom or dad, construction worker, banker, cleaner, teacher, rubbish collector, doctor, and if you're still in school, no matter what school you are in, no matter what stream you are in, no matter what anyone tells you, never, ever, ever fall into the trap of thinking that because of the school you attend, because of the stream you're in, because of the class you're in, because of the job you do, you are inferior or of less value to God than others. Every job, every school, however God has gifted you, is of equal value to God because at the end of all days, God has seen and will remember everything that we have done and will ever do. And at the end of all days, we will come before God on our own. And God will judge us based on what He has called us as individuals, as His workmanship to do. Based on what He has uniquely gifted you and He has uniquely gifted every one of us with unique gifts and abilities and interests to do. God will judge us based on what He has called us to do. And He values and loves us for every single different calling He has called each of us to do. Not what He has called another person to do. That's their business. What God has called us to do is our business and God's business. But easier said than done. There'll be times when the curse of sin in our work will feel overwhelming. When, when the baby in our care keeps crying, when we're the target of office politics, when we feel trapped in our job, when we can't even get a job, when we feel overwhelmed by failure, whenever we're confronted by a reminder that sin is still active in the world, in our world today, sabotaging our attempts to be God's workmanship, it's a reminder for us to look back with confidence and security at the redemption that we have in Christ. And it's a reminder for us to look forward because of the redemption to the wonderful hope we have 
in the sure day of restoration we will be part of when our fleeting days on earth and when our, is done and when our work for God is accomplished. Look at Revelation 22 verse 3. It says that there'll be a day that we look forward to when no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and, the la- and of the Lamb will be in it and His servants will worship Him. My friends, one day work will no longer be cursed. For those of us who are redeemed, we will join in the chorus of creation. Work will be joyful and full of meaning. Our workplace is going to be heaven itself. Our workplace will be perfect. And we will work together, united for one purpose, God's glory. Our work will sing glory, honour, wisdom, power to the Lamb upon the throne. The Lamb who redeemed us so that we can be His workmanship. And as we continue God's work here on day, let's look forward to that day, brothers and sisters, when God's work in the world and in us will be perfected, when the curse of sin will be no more to the day, when we, we come before God to offer the work of our hands to Him face to face. And when He will look at us and say, I know you. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's what I gave you to do. <laughs> well done my good and faithful servant. Let's bow our heads. We start and end this service with the same question. What work is God calling me to do? I want to just give us a moment to to come to God on our own, to think about, is this the work? that I'm doing every day, what God wants me to do? Do I need to open my eyes to having a bigger vision of God's work for me and in the world? Does my work, does my job, does my school, does my life start and end with God's work or is it just about me? others of us, it's not about doing more or doing less. It's about understanding and appreciating what God's work has done in the world and in our hearts. Brothers and sisters, we've been saved to be part of something that is more glorious than we can ever imagine. When we look at the world and the moon and the stars and the heavens and we get that sense of wow, the God who created that wants us to join us in another work, in painting another masterpiece. What work could God be calling us to do today? What part of God's work could He be calling us to meditate on today?
Gracious God, we thank you for what you've done on the cross. What you sent Christ to do on the cross for us. We thank you for your work of creation. We thank you that each of us are uniquely, beautifully made in your image. We thank you that even when work is difficult, we can rest assured that we are still your treasured possession. Even when we don't get into that job we want, even when we do badly in the work assignment, even when we don't get into that school we want to get into, you love us all the same and you value us all the same and that we've been called to see the world differently. And as we prepare ourselves to sing this closing song, Lord God, we pray that the lyrics of the song will not just be words from our lips, but will be words from our heart, a heart that you have changed through the power of your gospel, that we can sing to ourselves, that we can sing to each other, but most importantly, we can sing as a prayer to you, as, his, as your workmanship. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please rise for the song of response. And let us respond with this song um, yeah, as a prayer for, for our hearts as we think about um, living out this truth and serving God not only this week but for the rest of our lives. Before you, I knew.
section. Reading from Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 to 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord Jesus and not for men, knowing that from the Lord Jesus you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Great, thank you. We have come to the end of the service. Please do join us at Level 3 for a time of fellowship uh, and of food. Uh, if you need someone to pray with, our elders are available at the front uh, and the back to do so. And do chat to the youth and encourage them for all the good work they have done. Thank you.